0: It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? Girl? They can see it in my eyes.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Johnson Title Podcast. My guest this week is Tom Hazart. If you're not familiar with Tom by the name, Uh, It's because he's been more of a behind-the-scenes person and has had his hands in so many different facets of the entertainment and music industry. Currently he is uh, running the EMP label, which is Dave Ellison from Megadeth's label. He used to work for Vibe Records, he did A&R for Flip, uh, which was a subsidiary, I believe, of Interscope Records. If you were into the new metal scene at all back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Tom probably had his hand on one of your favorite records that came out around that time frame. Initially, when doing a lot of my research on Tom, I I found some really interesting things out about him. uh, That he was one of the first proponents of using street teams and utilizing their strengths uh, to get a, a band a lot of traction on the streets and stuff like that. And I wanted to talk to him a lot about more of the industry side of things and just kind of doing more behind the scenes stuff and kind of getting into, into that because you know, as someone who books shows and does a lot of stuff that now is kind of more behind the scenes, I always had an inclination to, to want to learn about these things, but I had no clue as to how you get into the industry and in, in any of these other mediums. And I feel like it would have been a lot harder where you don't have the internet, able to Google something and then tell you how to do it, or find a YouTube video of someone talking about how they did it. Uh, If you wanted to be involved in something back then, it was a lot harder, and you needed to just have that drive and determination to do something to see it through, to succeed. And Tom had a lot of success with a lot of the bands that he was shopping the labels and getting signed and having a hand in, from bands like Papa Roach, to Stain, to Slipknot, to pretty much anyone that was like I said a, a big player back then initially a friend of mine who will be on next week's episode Jordan King uh, told me to get with Tom as he has a lot of great stories and, and, and just really good at uh, chatting about a lot of music stuff and just chatting in general and I thought the name that sounded familiar and then I realized that over on the talk to me podcast that Joshua had had him on uh, a while back so if you want to check out that episode as well and hear some other stories uh, like about how him and Corey Taylor bought the Clerks animated series and watched it uh, at length one day. Uh, you can head over to the Talk To Me podcast and look for episode 38 while you're over there already. Might as well subscribe to Joshua's podcast because there's a lot of great guests over there. Some of these are kind of borrowing from each other like he had Fallon on after I did an episode with Fallon who will be coming on... Pretty soon to start our Deftones uh, discography run through, but be that as it may, also want to give a shout out to the Talk to Me podcast for hitting a hundred episodes. Uh, that's that's no small feat. Um, doing this weekend and week out, self you know self financed and taking the time to do your intros and edits and make sacrifices to your your own schedule to make sure that you can get a guest you know and then work within their their time frame of when they're doing you know, press or whatever, it's really hard. And I, I don't think uh, a lot of people understand what it is to commit to something like this with no pay, no, no, whatever, you're pretty much just putting out shit. And, you know, Josh has been doing it long enough and has been seeing the, the fruits of his hard work pay off, you know, as far as getting downloads and so forth. But it's been really interesting to to build up a friendship with Joshua over there. Uh, recently, he started up his podcast podcast website, the talk to pod.com uh, where I have been doing some reviews. I'm currently in the midst of finishing up one for the new Heller Highwater record, Vista, which is Brandon Seller from Atreyu's new band, where he is the front person. So that should be done. I'm gonna pretty much finish this after these intros and send it over to Josh. So that should be up hopefully a couple of days after this episode airs. And I'm also working on one for The new Mark Slaughter record, halfway there. Uh, Tom gave me that when we were discussing. Uh, a song he wanted to have played at the end of the episode, and he chose the new Slaughter song that his kids are on, that will be closing out this episode this week. Uh, Again, kind of coinciding with the Talk To Me podcast. If you head over there uh, for Josh's 100th episode, he actually got Mark Slaughter on to discuss a little bit about the record and kind of what's going on with Slaughter, the band, versus Mark Slaughter, the individual solo artist. And if you happen to come over here solely to listen to that new song, uh, Disposable, just fast forward through the end of this episode it should probably be within the last five minutes or so so if that's all you came here for just fast forward right on through but if you want to hear some crazy stories and stick around because this episode with Tom is is a wild one I didn't really get to have any of my questions actually answered that I had written down I had about two pages of uh, questions to ask him but it's all good we run the gamut of a lot of information and a lot of different crazy stories and I had a lot of fun doing this one so strap into your seats and hold tight because this is a wild ass episode so without further ado here's my chat with Tom Hazard.
2: getting rid of the Unumwashed, they wouldn't fucking die, But like, they like the undead, like, I stopped using them, and then people brought them back, and other people started using them, I'm like, fuck, I can't get away from the goddamn thing, so.
1: Well, it I is mean, what it- with you doing, your having your own, uh, jersey and whatnot for puck hockey, and I think I saw some guitar picks and stuff like that, yeah, it seems should, like, yeah. uh, it be nice but- for your merch, merchandising.
2: Yeah, well, the the pics were actually as funny because the pics are old as fuck, man. Those were the, you know, it all basically just came out of me being a, you know, a giant Motley Crue fan and it, like my guitar pics. I don't know if I have it even here. I, those are my old ones, but yeah, I had the I like, kind shout of shouted the. Devil. It was like the precursor to all the puck hockey stuff that they did. It had a, you know, the uh, the pentagram, the Shadow yep. of the devil pentagram said my name, but the umlauts were the O and the A's or whatever, like Motley Crue from Shadow of the Devil, and then the back had Alistair Fiend on it. Yeah, so Puck Hockey, we started doing the line, they just kind of ran with it and brought it back. And I'm like, all right. Like, I tried getting, you know, Facebook banned me from using the Umwatch, actually. That was what really happened. They were like, that's not really your name. It's like, how the fuck do you know that that's not really my name? Like, fuck you. you I think it's
1: still funny that in light of Facebook being stupid fuckers and telling you you can't have fun names and people finding different ways to do it, it's like it's it's kind of a, a pain in the ass and i'm just like why why fucking shit on everyone's a good time like if someone wants to be called like boo boo kitty fuck something or other who cares honestly like...
2: though to me I, I mean i i kind of fucking hate people i'm like you know my, my biggest pet peeves are people on facebook who don't use like it's not fucking myspace you know people who don't use <laughs> their real name and they don't have like pictures like or, or, or people that never change their fucking... Pro- like, there's pictures of people on my Facebook that have been the same fucking... Pro- I've been on Facebook for 10 fucking years. Funny enough, Keith Barney from 18 Visions was the original person who invited me... Like, back when Facebook was invitation only. That's how right. I first got on Facebook. Keith Barney from 18 Visions sent me an invite to Facebook. I'm like, oh, what the fuck is this? And, yeah, you know, but it's funny, but it's like... I mean, but there's seriously people who still have the same fucking profile picture from then. It's like, really? Yeah. Fucking, it's not, you know, it's not 2006. Change your fucking profile picture.
1: I don't know, man. Some of these tours and bands coming back make me feel like it's like 2003 to 2006 era all over again. Speaking of 18 that honestly, fucking new track, where is? It, it would have to be
2: 1986 to 2006. I mean, there's bands from every era. Basically, just there's nothing new coming out, so... I mean, every, every band, every band that has ever existed has basically reunited. Now it's like reunited nation. Yeah. I mean, literally like, there's literally like, like name one band who broke up and didn't get back together. It's like, again, it's like, it's like the umlauts, just nothing. Can <laughs> anymore. Um, so it's like, it's like we're living in a musical, a musical adaptation of the walking dead. Like no bands can just stay dead. Like just, there's bands that really had no purpose even existing in the first place that came back. It's like, fuck, you know, it's, I, I mean, how can band, new bands even have a chance when every band that's ever existed, it's not bad enough if you had to compete with all the other new bands. Now you have to compete with every fucking band that ever existed ever in the history of the world, you know, and, and even guys who are dead now, you got to compete with fucking holograms. Right? They can't <laughs> even
1: it's uh, it's been really interesting to see. I was listening to uh, Eddie Trunks podcast and he was talking to, uh, I can't remember the dude's name, but one of basically most of the people from, uh, damn Yankees between Tommy Shaw and Ted Nugent and all those guys. I think Jackie Blades, and. uh they keep talking about doing a reunion. I'm like, when's the fucking last time you were even a band? Stop. Like, who cares? No. Like your other bands, like honestly, no one. I love,
2: I love I loved damn Yankees, but now I fucking hate Ted Nugent so much. Cause he's such a fucking idiot that like, <sighs> honestly, <sighs> like I, damn Yankees then like I Ted Nugent used to just shut up and like play guitar and he was fucking great. Now he would just shit talk from the stage. Cause yeah, I remember that, seeing even damn Yankees. He didn't though. He just shut up and chewed gum and played his fucking guitar. And that's, Really, honestly, the only time I ever liked Ted Nugent wasn't Damn Yankees. And I, I, <laughs> I admit I love that band. I don't think I'd really give a flying fuck if they got back together, unless they were just going to play high enough, like fifteen times in a row, and coming of age maybe. I don't, I don't know. I mean, look, they're a good band. I mean, look, there'd at least be value in them getting back together. I mean, there's bands who are a lot, who are a lot less successful and important that got back together that you know really probably shouldn't have you know what i mean it's like again but every every, you know i I mean again for every band that gets together there's somebody who's excited about it you know what i mean it's you know i guess god bless you know
1: (laughs) speaking of bands and 20 some odd years ago which is a terrible segue Um, that's a great segue uh, now
2: we're getting into the gritty (laughs)
1: um Something that I in doing some digging on, on your past, uh oh. not in like a terrible way, but just like what I could find online so I don't ask you like a million like a million of the same questions that you've already been asked. Um, you started off in journalism uh for I'm trying to remember who exactly I think like I ended up finding like a you bunch know, I, of. I
2: started well, funny enough, I started out writing for uh, uh, the, the, I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the uh, the the paper here is called the Green Bay Press Gazette. Remember, newspapers, those things people used to buy every day, and they had stories, and it, it was like kind of the internet, but printed, you know? I thought and, that was uh, just a made-up thing for, for no, Peter Parker no, to, uh, they really to, to, to sell. <laughs> no, they, they were called newspapers, and uh, every day, people would buy them, get them delivered to their house so they could read the news, and-, and Weird. Uh, so I, I actually started writing for a teen page in the Green Bay Press Gazette. And after I did it for a while, I realized, hey, if I call, I mean, I am i was writing for 100,000, 200,000 circulation, Gannett Group Daily. I'm like, hey, if I call record labels, they will send me free CDs and let me go to concerts for free. So I was smart enough to kind of corral it into a legitimate thing, you know? So I, and, and through that, I hooked up with Roadrunner and I interviewed Machine Head and Nirvana, and I did all this crazy shit. And, you know, the first interview I ever really did, like my, yeah, yeah, my life was kind of like Almost Famous. Have you ever seen Almost Famous? Yes, one of my favorite movies. Me me too. Me too. I love Cameron Crowe. I love that fucking movie. But that movie was basically my life 15, 16 years old, running around, you know, interviewing. My first real in person interview was Peter Steele. I walk up to this bus at the back of the arena, 15 years old. Hello? Hello, what do you want? <laughs> I'm here to interview you, Mr. Steele. Oh, okay. You know, a giant 10-foot Peter fucking Steele with his giant penis just standing there going, <laughs> you come in. And I'm like, fine. Yeah, I was scared to death, but he was the warmest, sweetest guy and I ended up building a cool relationship and rapport with Peter and the band over the years. And, I did. I literally I have this right now. Nobody will he- see this, but they'll be able to hear it. But, like, I'm, I'm about to go... I'm trying to find a awkward frame to put this in, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I yeah, sign up interviewing Typo and, you know, Sepultura and Obituary and a lot of the Roadrunner. I mean, honestly, the first label I really made in that was Roadrunner. And through that process, I met Monty Connor, which obviously figured in much later when I managed Camera and got them signed to Roadrunner and Monty became a dear friend of mine. And it was all really faded, man, you know. But yeah, the first label I really, you know, found a place was was Roadrunner and then uh, some independent labels, you know, and then I went to South by Southwest and met some more people and, and that was when South by Southwest was just this little hole-in-the-wall fucking Texas music thing. It wasn't the giant hipster spectacle that it now <laughs> I, I mean, this was 23 years ago, I think. I went there for the first time maybe 21. I don't know. It was a long time. I was 18 or 19 and I'm 42 now, so do the math. Right. Um... But yeah, after that, I ended up writing for a, I met Bob Ciapardi, and I wrote for Concretes magazine, I and mean, then Metal Hammer, Circus, blah blah blah. There are these things called magazines, and uh, you buy <laughs> Pictures of yeah, yeah. It was kind of like blabbermouth, but in in a in a in a book, and you could buy it at a grocery store, and it would have pictures of bands in it, and news, and and, and interviews, and yeah. So again, we're we're teaching everybody. tonight. <laughs>
1: It was uh, interesting to to see that though that you had started in journalism and I didn't know if you had gone and I didn't find this anywhere if you had gone to school for journalism like that uh, was dude, something... I, did. I
2: I dropped out of, I dropped out of high school my senior year and never looked back man you know look like, I mean honestly this the music business is one of the few businesses where, I mean it's just entertainment in general I mean like if you're dynamic enough and smart enough and can kind of meet the right people and lucky enough you don't need to go to school I mean like I dropped out of high school my senior year and i never looked back i just went Psh. i got on a greyhound bus like a fucking poison video straw hanging out of my teeth and i you know, <laughs> went and worked with limp biscuit and stained and cold and all these bands and they went Psh. and it was you know but no i didn't i i didn't go to college i didn't finish high school
1: okay well that's very similar i, fin- I finished high school but in the last i'd say handful of years i've picked up a. Uh writing about music and show reviews and doing uh album reviews yeah. now for like Josh's uh podcast website and
2: right.
1: doing other stuff and it was just a thing where I, I was spent past- the last
2: twenty years trying to get away from that. And I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Hey but those skills still come in handy. Look, running a label, I write all our bios, I write all our press releases. It's funny, even a lot of times like the copy we do for magazines now where websites like they just basically take my copy and use it and I write a lot of stuff for Dave and I mean, it's handy skills to have i use it every day and i still write some guest stuff for you know i said i did some guest stuff for noia creep and some of the big you know websites and i you know and again i ran loudside.com for a long time and i pretty much wrote all the content on loudside for the pretty much the duration of its existence you know and me and eric were running that so I mean, look it's handy skills to have and they've come in handy but you know and it opened you know everything you do opens doors to other things and, and, and having different skill sets is good. But again, you know, the journalism opened doors to, you know, the marketing and the A&R and everything else I did. And there's been, you know, like again, it's a combination of skill set, work ethic, determination, and just probably insanity and stupidity on an equal level too, you know? So. <laughs> um, were you ever in a band yourself? I, I didn't really
1: find anything that yeah, said you had, were yeah, in a band. You know,
2: I, yeah, I've been, you know, I was in a couple bands when I was younger. Um, and then, you know, it, it was kind of, I started out in bands and that's how I started managing bands and managing my own bands. And I still, uh, you know, and then I kind of moved more into the, the the other side, but then I produced bands for a long time and wrote songs for other bands. And, you know, so I, I've always been creating and writing and kind of done production with the bands I managed and then full on started producing records. And, and actually over the last two years, I've been working on a solo record. That uh, you know, Bumblefoot played on, and you know Phil from Taproot was supposed to do some stuff on, and you know, it, it it's you know, and I did some stuff with Phil Collins from Def Leppard, you know what I mean? So it's like I, you know, it, it it's fun to end up like just doing music for fun, and it turns into this epic fucking like all-star thing. It's like okay, you know, I write a song that sounds like Gun Roses, and somehow come to guitar player at Guns N' Roses for 10 years into playing on it you know what I mean it's a, it's, a cool, it's a cool cycle of life but you know I mean but yeah so I've always been a musician and and, and, and but again it kind of shifted more over into the writing production side of it but yeah I mean I've been in some I was in a handful of shitty bands when I was younger and you know wrote songs for some better bands when I was older and you know I'm a relatively formidable writer and producer and you know I uh I think one of the things that really
1: surprised me in kind of doing some of my, my background checking on you was that, uh I should figure out different words to use because it sounds like I'm a police person, just like looking through your, your background your background check. Uh, you're not going to get hired for this job after your background check. Um, no, no, probably not. Well, that's the
2: other great thing about what I do. I don't need it, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't no for matter. Sure.
1: Um, but something that I had found interesting, and, and granted, some of this stuff could have been misinformation, so I mean, correct it if I'm wrong, or it's wrong, I should say. Um, that you were one of the first to kind of uh,
2: first adopters of street teams.
0: Like oh, fucking were. I know.
2: Yeah. That's absolutely accurate. I mean, honestly, look, Immortal was doing it, and I worked for Immortal and kind of, you know, honestly, I was one of the first people who really took the internet and worked it into it. I, I mean, I built a, a street team of, you know, like 500,000 kids. I, I mean, again, and, and Immortal, I'd worked at Immortal and, and we'd done, you know, they'd done some stuff on the first corn record. When I moved to, When I moved to L.A. the first time, you know, that was what I did. I went interned at Immortal. That was when Life is Peachy was just coming out and did a lot of stuff with them on that. And, you know, Incubus Science was out and Make Yourself was about to come out. And, you know, and then later, funny enough, I ended up signing Switched over there, too. You know, but yeah. So basically what happened is, you know, street teams, internet marketing started as me and a bunch of kids in AOL chat rooms, corn chat rooms, talking about. Cold Chamber and Papa Roach and other bands that basically <laughs> sounded like corn. I mean, that was honestly legitimately the beginning of lifestyle marketing in rock and roll. I mean, and, and then, and then, yeah. So basically I befriended Fred and uh, this was before $3 bill y'all came out. And I was talking about this street team stuff that I was doing. I want to do. And he's like, one day me and him called Jordan. Sure. On a conference call. And he goes, Hey, Jordan, this is Tom. We're going to start a street team for Limp Biscuit, And he's going to run it. And Jordan's like, no, we're not. <laughs> Fred's like yeah we are Fred's like, no we're not Fred's like yeah we are five ten years later Jordan's in Billboard and Rolling Stone oh, my street team blah 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 that's what Brooklyn biscuit. and it was the most brilliant thing I ever did he didn't want to do it he said no I don't think I've ever told this story actually you know but yeah he was like nope I'm not doing it Jordan wanted nothing to do with it finally Fred won and I mean honestly and legitimately there was quotes I think it's on my Wikipedia actually but that you know from Billboard that you know, Jordan credited that street team with making Flip what it was and was the a big part of the impetus behind the success of Limp Biscuit and Stained and Cold. And that was, you know, for lack of a better term, all me. I mean, I started, I built the entire thing from the ground up. And then and then after Flip happened, then I went and did it for Jive. That was when the first Ted P.E. record was out. And they wanted to do it. And, you know, so I went over there to Jive. And then they had to me to do A&R. And I brought them Papa Roach and Nonpoint and a bunch of other bands that ended up getting really fucking big. And they passed on. And, uh, yeah, and, and it just fed. And then me and Eric started Total Assault, Loudside. And then we started doing more Street Team stuff beyond that. And and then Total Assault, we just it went nuts. I mean, we did Crazy Town, Methods of Mayhem, Nine Inch Nails, Chris Cornell, The Bloodhound Gang, Manson, Guns N' Roses. I mean, it just went fucking apeshit at that point. But, but by then, Band Bitch was around and Streetwise. And All the other companies, but no, we were absolutely years before they were. I mean, look, significant, you know, $3 Billion came out a long fucking time before the first System of a Down record. What was the first Streetwise record? System of a Down's first record. So, I mean, obviously, you know, Bino borrowed some concepts from what we did, and it, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like the, you know, he denied it, but whatever. I and mean, Bino's a great dude in System, and it's all ancient history now. And it's you know, funny though, man, there used to be like serious, <laughs> like, streaky beep. It was like, oh, fucking, yeah west side story me and band bitch and like no it's my record no it's mine and it was and funny and now me and john are good friends we joke about it but i mean it was it was pretty intense shit back then you know and we were all really in really tight competition for records and we were all friends with the bands and but you know i did i spent a lot of time out in front of the palladium handing up flyers with lincoln park and you know (laughs) you know sticking crazy town stickers all over la i mean it was really a you know as far as i'm concerned i say this all the time I mean, that was the last great movement in american rock and roll it was i mean from 1997 to 2004 that was it that was the last that was the last gasp man i mean it really the last mainstream huge rock and roll metal movement that was it you know i mean it was really amazing to be a part of obviously i was too young i missed the 80s in la which would have been great but i got to be a part of snot and head pe and coal chamber and power man and you know, the whole next wave of, you know, which was awesome. You know, it was really a, you know, and I'm blessed to have been able to be there and be a part of it. And, you know, made such great friends out of it. And, you know.
1: It it was definitely interesting to see the street team thing because I remember in that era that you're talking about, like, I think maybe my sophomore year of high school. Like, so we're talking maybe like mm, 2000, yeah, about 2000. And yeah, like, just joining up right. for like A
2: piece of nonsense.
1: Was <laughs> does it say? Joining up for like Cold's uh street team and Stain's street team, yep. and, and then eventually Papa Roach's and getting like flyering material. And then it was like someone came up with the idea to like use points. And if you earn so many points for putting up so many posters somewhere or whatever, you could get like, like meat weights yeah. and yeah, and so like. I was like, man, this is the, like, these people are dumb. I'm going to go put this shit everywhere and I'm going to get like free tickets. Like these people are stupid. And then it's like, I look back <laughs> and I'm like, I'm the dumb one.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing free work were for slave you. Labor. <laughs> you were slave labor to all of us and helped sell million. And, and you know, look, man, but it was all passion and art and just pushing great things. Like I never made money off any of it. I'll tell you this. I mean, look, total assault. By the time total assault, we were making money. Limp Bizkit, all that shit. I worked for free. You know, you know what I got out of Limp Biscuit? I got a shitty $200 platinum record. Exactly. But, you know, I can brag forever. I mean, I don't know how much you want to brag about working on Limp Biscuit records now because it's almost like, you, you know, know, what? I, I mean, I don't know if you can see the shirt I'm wearing. But. I can't see the shirt. I can't see the shirt. So obviously you're a fan. You know, I'm proud <laughs> as fuck of that record and everything we did with that band. And, 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 you know, they were they that band changed the fucking world. They were the biggest fucking band in the world. And I was part of it. And I'm still proud of that. And Wes is still a dear friend of mine. And I actually put out one of the black white burns records a couple years ago in THC. So there's always still, I was almost wondering if you,
1: I was almost wondering if you were going to be behind the uh, crystal machete project you just put out, but it looked like that was completely on him. Actually, he's someone i wanted to get on here to talk about since he lives now here in Michigan, uh, um, get him on to, yep. And I wanted to try to get him to talk about the, the crystal machete project and moving to Detroit and this resurgence of, uh, wanting to be very creative in a lot of facets. Um, but I don't think uh, I'm on his radar, nor will I be for
2: a while. So yeah. it'll be a, a pipe pipe dream for now. Oh, <laughs> hey. Well, hey, you got me, and I can talk about West Portland. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I touched him once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely one of those that it always seemed like – and. A lot of people say, like, I have this fascination with new metal in uh, the era, but it, I think at the, the other great. thing... It was a great
2: fucking era, though. I was going to say, really it was enjoyed. very
1: unapologetic. It was brand new at the time. It, it spurned a lot of different styles of bands, and bands that are still around. I mean, everyone shit on new metal, but it's like, look at Korn. There's still an active, viable, big-ticket band. Deftones are still around. You still have, you know, System of a Down. I mean, granted, most of these bands have changed over the years, but I, like, I saw Limp Biscuit. Uh, at the Orbit Room here in Grand Rapids a couple years ago, they sold that motherfucker out. And I think they sold most of that tour out. And it still shows that the band is still relevant to people, uh, nostalgic be damned, and they still yeah.
2: fucking bring it. So it's like, I well, don't it's understand it's... the hate. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, look, you know, and that was your high school years. And I say this all the time, like, you know, Slipknot, like the biggest bands of the last 20 years, you know, are my friends. I know them. And so it doesn't phase me, but... The shit that I was in high school, you know, I mean? Megadeth and Slaughter and funny enough, all the bands I work with now on on an, on another side, that's the shit that really, to me, be, you know what I mean? It's like, look, I work with a lot of contemporary stuff, but really like the thing, shit that still sticks with me is the stuff that I grew up with in high school and the shit I like. And, and it's so funny because now I've gotten to this season in my career where literally my favorite bands when I was... 16 years old were Megadeth and Slaughter. You know what I mean? Now I, David Allison's my partner and Mark Slaughter's on our label and, you know, and, and everybody I liked that I kind of work with and hang out with. And you know. but look, the 2000s were definitely a great, great, great time for music. And I got to, you know, experience, uh, you know, and again, just the whole thing from, you know, dude, I saw stained play in, you know, churches in front of 10 people, you know what I mean? Like just, they played some of the weirdest fucking shows when, when they are breaking. Dude, uh, I will tell you what, I will never I will never fucking forget this. But one night it was actually the night after we filmed the Mud Shovel video. Me and Aaron were sitting in his hotel room at the Days Inn in Hollywood. And this was when just when dysfunction was out. And nobody had heard any of the acoustic stuff or knew they had any of that stuff even. You know what I right, mean? Like yep. Excess baggage, like the hidden the closest thing. But yeah, so me and Aaron were sitting in his hotel room and he pulled out his acoustic guitar. And starts playing Going to California by Led Zeppelin and all this acoustic shit. He's just amazing. And I'm like, and honestly, like nobody really did that then. There really wasn't no. rock, singer, songwriter thing, the acoustic thing. That wasn't really happening then. You know what I mean? But Aaron came out of that same school. I did the Alice in Chains kind of, you know? And, and again, so he had that, but it was kind of in his pocket. And he just pulled out an acoustic and just started playing all this amazing shit. And then he started playing this song. And he's like, well, this is something new I've been working on. I haven't even showed it really to the guys yet or anything. And he starts playing this amazing acoustic song. I'm like, dude, that is what is going to make Stain fucking billions of dollars. For, fast forward four months later, I'm listening to K Rock, and all of a sudden, I hear Aaron playing that song live with Fred Durst in the background going, "Yeah!" <laughs> oh, there you go, there you go. And, and that was so. And that was the Family Values record they recorded inside live. Fred, it was just a new song that he just wrote. Fred's like, dude, you should play that. They did. And that's how that song blew up. They put on the Family Values record. It radio caught on to it. And it went, and, and you know, I'll never forget Aaron just playing me that song as he just wrote it in his fucking hotel room. And I was like, holy shit, you know, and it was, you know, it's one of those serendipitous moments where I was like, dude, that is what is going to make Stain huge. And it did. You know, they were the-
1: it was weird. A couple of years ago, we saw, my dad and I saw Aaron on one of the very beginning phases of him doing the country thing and it was just him and Ben. Uh doing basically acoustic and then the the lap steel guitar at a casino in front of maybe two hundred people, um if. And uh I remember he was telling the story before he played it's been a while and he was like, you know, I used to play this song in coffee shops and no one gave a fuck. Like I would like people were talking over me and it was a song like I knew I believed in, but like for so long no one gave a fuck and now it's like been the most like requested or most played song on active rock radio for like the last decade, like fuck you guys. Like if you have a song in you, like don't be afraid to play it. And I always kind of, and like, that was the big walk away for me on that was just like, not to be afraid to to do something. If, if you're passionate about it, whether, you know, just ignore all the noise, just focus. On what yeah, I mean,
2: look, look at that first stand record. It was brilliant, but it was basically just deft tones, everything else going on then. But you know, then break the cycle was where they really put some of that in it. And it was just, you know, they added, that was the missing ingredient. And there was tastes of it in dysfunction. Yeah. There was brilliant moments of holy shit, this could be something really big, and then and then break the cycle. I, you know, I, it was just fucking a monster. You know, and I remember being with those guys making those records in Cold. You know, I was in the studio with Cold when they made Thirteen Ways to Bleed on stage. And you know what I mean? It's like, in I was in the studio with Incubus when they were making Science, and Thirty Seconds to Mars was in the next studio over at Energy, and just standing there hanging out with. Jared Leto and, and the Incubus guys, and just not even quite realizing how crazy it was. Then, now looking back, I'm just like, holy fuck, you know what I mean? But I mean, it was. You were, you talk about being in the studio with someone like
1: the difference between science and, and make yourself, like obviously being a, a big launching point stylistically for Incubus to change, staying from dysfunction to break the cycle. I can't really speak on Thirty Seconds to Mars because at that point they were putting up that self-titled record, which they pretty much don't even acknowledge exists anymore. Which yeah, stops. exactly.
2: That's what they were working. That was. So I saw them on that, that tour
1: opening for Cold actually when they were doing the uh, that like Storytellers thing before yep. Way of the Spider came out. Yeah. And I remember getting uh Jared Little or sorry Jared Little's brother's autograph, the whole band, and I asked for a photo, and uh, this fucking fuckface drummer was like, "Make it quick," and I'm like, "Dude, there's literally like." seven people here because there was a bad snowstorm <laughs> and the weird thing is my wife was one of the, i didn't know her at the time she was one of the only girls women at the show so i was like it's really weird we had this weird moment where we were together but we didn't know each other at this show that only like less than 10 people attended but i just always walked away i was like that dude's a fucking prick jared leto was super nice though know, right <laughs> but uh it was well, you
2: could have just caught him on the wrong day or yeah, whatever yeah yeah that is
1: pretty ridiculous what no. uh, what was it like being able to be around some of these bands at the the pivot point of their career and and style-wise, like, it seems like that's got to be something, too, that you kind of have taken with you just to see how much a band is
2: growing and then see the commercial success of it as an A&R person or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to see. I mean, look, honestly, you know, Incubus, I honestly really think, I I don't know if you ever heard Vent or Audio Vent. Oh, that was one of my, I
1: still have that CD, and I was kind of shocked that they didn't get any bigger than they did. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I, I kind of managed them early on when they were Vent. And I really, to this day, think that Incubus borrowed a lot from them in their transition from science to Make Yourself. Because honestly... Was, Vent event was around? Because they always Because yeah, it always, it always oh, made it after, seem after, like after they
0: were... No,
2: was... they were around for a long time. They just got... That, yeah, no, honestly. No, they were... That was all simultaneously. Vent was around L.A. playing and Incubus was... Yeah, I mean, it was all... I mean, I know Audio Event didn't get signed or the album didn't come out until way later, but yeah. no, they were all kind of around simultaneously. And But you know, look, like, I mean, Incubus just kind of refined their songs and lost, you know. Dude, it's so funny. I remember fuck when science was out doing an interview with Billy Gould from Faith No More and talking (laughs) to him about this band called Incubus that he'd never heard of I'm like dude you have to check this band out there's a huge Faith No More influence there I mean there's a lot of that you know Faith No More type stuff in there and it was just so funny telling the bass player Faith No More about Incubus who he had no idea who they were and you know no one else did either really you know that was when science was out and they were still kind of just you know bubbling down here but yeah look I mean it was no, a lot of I and mean, look when 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 hybrid theory came out, everybody said it wasn't going to do shit either. New metal's dead, all this shit's dead, and it came out and it was the biggest fucking record <laughs> in twenty years. So what the fuck do people know? You know they really don't. I mean like everybody, you know, everybody man said, oh this record's not. Gonna. You know another really funny story. So Jeff Blue, their A and R guy from Warner Brothers, came over to the Loudside office one day, and he's like, look, we're you know getting ready to put out the Lincoln Park record, you know, and. and uh, You know, and I knew those guys since they were hybrid theory, you know what I mean? But they came over to our office and Jeff was like, we want to start a little independent. We want to put out an independent EP for street cred before we put out the record. And we want to (laughs) start a little label. We basically want Loudside Total Assault to start a little label to put out a, a Lincoln Park EP, you know, to kind of build street cred before the record comes out. And I don't know what ever happened to it, but we definitely had that meeting. And again, that's just what's so cool is that you're so close to this crazy shit that just goes you know it's you know it's it is interesting to see I mean looking back in a time vacuum like you know what, it's kind of like being around the 80s and seeing Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard and all the I mean again it's kind of the other side I mean Limp Biscuit, all these bands got as big in their time or you know as that stuff did you know what I mean proportionally so I mean again I really you know I'm blessed I did, did get to witness you know, a couple of really amazing phases. And, and, you know, it's funny. And now all the 80s stuff that I was too young for now, I work with all those bands now. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm still, and look, look at Megadeth. I mean, Megadeth won a fucking Grammy this year. I mean, me and Dave are doing all this huge stuff. I mean, Megadeth has returned to form better than they've been in 30 years. You know, so it's like, it's so great. I got to be a part of all this other stuff. But now I got to be a part of all this other stuff that I was really passionate about, too. And again, this Mark Slaughter record is so... so, I mean, honestly, I've helped Mark make a career-defining fucking record. You know what I mean? It's like, right now, the Loudwire most anticipated release of Maypole... Maypole. Maypole, (laughs) P-O-L-L. It ends ends at midnight. Mark is up... Mark is at 40% of the votes. The next closest is Cedar, who are at 25. So basically, Mark is going to win the most anticipated release, knock on wood, for May on Loudwire. And that's what... That's over Lincoln Park, Popper Roads, Danzig, you know what I mean It's like that's pretty fucking, but you know it's pretty fucking crazy, you know, and again, Lincoln Park has like ninety million followers on social media. Mark has forty, and his fans were so engaged, and people were so engaged in wanting him to win that it looks like we're going to okay anyway
1: um but no, so i'm I'm looking forward to this new slaughter record, and hopefully it'll be good to see him back out. I remember seeing winger uh, a handful of years ago and was probably the youngest person by a solid 20, 25 years at that point.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And <laughs> still blown away by the fact that that band is still the original band, still all the original members, still able to play at a
2: high level, still sounds great. Yeah. Um, so and Kip Langer is, is, is on, is all those guys, Red Beach, I mean, they're a talented, you know, the shit they got for some of their songs, I mean, Kip is one of the most talented, you know, classically trained, like crazy musicians that has ever walked the earth. A lot of these guys don't, you know, Mark, You know, is a crazy guitar player. Like people don't know that; they don't get it. I mean, there's, you know, I I got you know Guitar World to do a feature on Mark in the next issue. Slaughter. Nobody from Slaughter, including Tim Kelly, has ever been in Guitar World. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's you know. But Mark's just this crazy shreddy guitar player. People don't know that. Before he joined Vinnie Vincent Invasion, he was a guitar teacher. He had like 300 students. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, it's funny. Like it's really getting to show people a different side. A lot of these guys. Don't get the credit that they deserve for how great they are as players, or you know what I mean. It's you know unfortunate. Do you feel like maybe that's a byproduct of at least
1: with some of these older older band people? Do you feel like maybe that's a byproduct of like publishing rights and stuff like that? Like now in this new age where people are signing newer contracts for some of these, I guess they're called legacy bands at this point. Yeah. uh, doing stuff to where you know like Mark maybe didn't put it out on front street that he was, you know, playing as much guitar and playing as many of the instruments and writing as much as he was to kind of just appease like the, the band. Cause the pub deal was kind of in, eh, whereas now it's like publishing is one of the the few ways that, you know, if a song hits. and. Like...
2: But, but you know, the funny thing is though, I mean, publishing, you know, if if you're a huge band, I, I mean, look and I know, you know, slaughter, you know, I know their publishing statements are and like, honestly, like, you know, their statements doubled this year, you know, which is fucking great. You know what I mean? But you know, I, I think Mark, I think they he just fell into that role in Vinnie Vincent of just being the front man, and that's what they're looking for, and then Slaughter was just kind of an extension of Vinnie Vincent, and so it just kind of gets it, and look, Mark played a little rhythm guitar in the videos and on the stuff, but I mean, all those records, Mark wrote the guitar parts, you know, Stick It to You, The Wildlife, Mark and Dana wrote those songs, Mark wrote the guitar parts, and nobody really even ever knew that, you know, because again, right. it was just part of the presentation of the band and not any one member but dude mark wrote all those parts mark wrote all those songs mark and dana wrote all that shit you know what i mean so that's what you know that's why it's so easy for him to write a song and it sounds like slaughter because look he wrote those ones too you know yeah
1: so i mean yeah it was just something i kind of had wondered if if it was just you know now due to how bands or people in bands kind of hold on to their publishing a little more and obviously being the main songwriter if it's maybe that's kind of what's Leading a lot of these people to start coming out, like a, a Mark Slaughter, and coming out and being like, "Hey, like I, I, I fucking shred and I write all these things and I've been writing all these things." Like I, I think with Mark, it was just
2: more of a means to an end because I don't think, you know, and I'm not really talking out of order because Mark says this all the time, but like Dana just really isn't into doing another slaughter record. Mark is the guy who is an artist and really has to write and keep writing. And it just, he wasn't creating and he had to, you know, if you read the interviews or the press releases for this new record, that's basically what he says is just, you know, an artist creates art and I wasn't, and I had to, you know, and that might very well might be the case with a lot of the other guys, you know what I mean? But Mark, it was just a genuine, you know, it was just from a genuine need to create art again and put something out to his fans. And and again, and his fans are, so amazing and so great and so engaged and I mean it's just it's just a, a, so fun to watch and be a part of and just see this thing take off and go holy shit you know what I mean it's like if you if you had told fifteen year old me hey someday you're gonna be helping blow Mark Slaughter's new record up on David Ellison's label I probably would have laughed at <laughs> you know? I, I mean but here we
1: are you know um, speaking of your partnership with with Dave with it seems like between I almost said the wrong coffee company. I've been seeing so many coffee companies recently pop up with musicians. <laughs> oh, it's,
2: called, it's called Ellison, man. Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> going to say Bulletproof,
1: and I was like, no, that's not it. But that's because everyone on like my Facebook group seems to be into Bulletproof coffee, and I don't remember if that's the Death Wish coffee offshoot or whatever. Yeah, I but mean,
2: I have no idea what the I was going to say, is. it
1: seems like there's so many fucking coffee brands that musicians are coming out with now, which Ellison was the first one that I remember there being. Outside of, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, from, we weren't uh... the
2: first, you know, we were one of the first that really took it to the level we did. I mean, look, Frank, you know, Charlie Benante from Anthrax had his for a while. You know, obviously, Zach had his with, you know, Death Wish. But yeah, I mean, Ellison's was definitely, you know, I think one of the guys from Aerosmith had one. But I mean, look, we we're the first that really took it to the level it did. And I think we elevated it. And, you know, we just opened our first brick and mortar actual Ellison Coffee Company shop in David's hometown. And, you know, oh, yeah, we had no. the grand opening. Don, it was amazing. Don Jameson came out. Stephen Schroe from Kick Tracy came out and played acoustic. I, I mean, it was it was really – I mean, I mean, we sold 300 pounds. Like, we sold out of coffee by noon on Saturday. We had 300 pounds we sold out of it, you wow. know what I mean, in the first fucking day. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it was on the front page of every newspaper in a 100-mile radius. I mean, it was a big deal, and it was great. And it was – again, so I think, you know, we weren't, we weren't the first. We were among the first, but, I mean, we really – and the cool thing is Paul – from between, I was going to say
1: that's stages. the only other person I know of that really was big in coffee within the metal yeah. scene.
2: Yeah, and Paul roast our Coffee. That's the okay. thing. Paul is when he started Elliston with us. He came to Dave. I remember one day I was walking around an adult bookstore. Funny enough, and I get a call from Elliston. <laughs> hey, this guy wants to do a coffee line with me. Should we do it? And I was like. Yeah, let's do it. Let's call it Roast in Peace. And he cracked up, and that was it. And that was the start of it, man. <laughs> just, you know, and it really just... just and me and Dave alternated. Then he came up with Kenya Thrash. Then I came up with She-Wolf. And then we came up with the Urban Legend Blend. And you know, we got a couple other thing, new ones up our sleeve. But, yeah, I mean, look, we really... I think we really took it to another level with... I, I mean, look, and Death Wish is amazing. and They did amazing shit. And, I mean, they're on a whole other level than we are. But, you know, what? we are, you know, just this week pay our 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 GM was out selling coffee at uh at Welcome to Rockville. You know what I mean? And we're gonna have a whole Ellison coffee tent at Chicago Open Air. And you know what I mean? So now we're starting to get into all these big events and people love Dave and people love the coffee. So we're getting offered all these other opportunities and it's just it's 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 incredible. You know what I mean? It really is. I mean we I yeah, but yeah we definitely you know we were one of the first I think really Got the attention for it and really took it marketing-wise and promotion-wise at that next level. And again, now we have the brick-and-mortar store. Now there's ten other people asking us about wanting to franchise and open other brick-and-mortar stores. So who knows where the hell it'll go? You know what I mean? I don't, but you know, all I know is I'm along for the ride and it's fun. You know,
1: with your having your like having your hands in so many different mediums between you know Ellison Coffee. Now there's a brick-and-mortar with that. Uh, there's a, a record label. You do A and R.
2: You. At
1: one point I think I saw you were doing films and yeah
2: well, I did, I think like that. you know I, I produced a, a documentary a, a really cool life on the road music documentary called Long Way to the Top with uh, my buddy Taylor Wallace, the singer from Trigger Point and uh, Rob Montague from Chinoa, which I don't know if you kept up with any of my corporate punishment stuff, but I mean they were two of the bands that were on my previous label Corporate Punishment. And they were doing this movie, and I you know, I got Wes into it and Phil Collins from Def Leppard and a couple other guys and kind of just helped them put it together. And, yeah, and then I uh, – you know, the thing that actually led to a lot of the stuff I'm doing now is I do some special features for Shout Factory and Scream Factory. And Wes Craven's Shocker, as you see the giant poster behind me, um, you know, <laughs> they, they were doing that movie. That was one of my favorite movies, and the soundtrack's incredible. It has dangerous toys, Megadeth, Alice – Cooper. I, I mean, it was just a crazy, amazing soundtrack and uh, a lot of stuff with the Kiss guys. So Scream Factory was doing that. And, and my friends were you know, producing the, uh, I read your pictures, were producing the special feature. And I said, look, you have to let me do something on Shocker. Let me do a thing about the soundtrack. And I said, okay, you have two weeks and no budget. I said, okay. (laughs) So so I did. I I shot this 30-minute documentary about the Shocker soundtrack and interviewed Ellison, Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys and Broken Teeth, Bruce Kulick from Kiss, who's in Grand Funk Railroad now, Desmond Child, who produced the soundtrack and wrote a lot of the Bon Jovi hits and Kiss and Aerosmith. And, uh, uh, um, you know, so it was was really a, uh, a really cool documentary thing that came out. And that was kind of my reintroduction to Dave. I'd known him for... He, he was at PV in the years he was out of Megadeth. He was the A and R guy at PV, and some of the bands I managed, Skin Lab, a handful of my other bands, were PV artists. So I had to deal with Dave to get their endorsement stuff. So, you know, so we always kind of knew each other. Then we reconnected after the Shocker thing. He's like, well, hey, I'm producing bands now. I'm managing bands, and I'm like, well, hey, why do you produce some shit? Or why do we do some stuff? So I brought him a Rise in Chaos. He produced one song. Halfway through the first song, he texted me. He's like, dude, I love this band. Let's do something. So we were originally talking about co-managing, and then he said, well, you know, Megaforce offered me an imprint i don't think about doing it. Why don't I just sign him to my label? I said, okay. And then within a month we were just helping him with little things. He was managing doll skin. I was helping him with that within a month. It turned into me, Hey, just run this fucking label for me, you know? And then the Megaforce thing didn't quite work out. And I went to E1 and got us that deal. And, you know, we never looked back, you know? So, I mean, but it all kind of comes back to shocker. It's funny. Cause now I've known Jason McMaster for years and years. And now he's on the label with broken teeth and dangerous toys and you know his other band igniter and you know i reconnected with dave but yeah a lot of that came out so all this stuff kind of feeds itself and honestly i kind of you know i i I was doing radio i've always done radio stuff i co-hosted a morning show i've done a lot of radio stuff i've had my own shows so like, look i do film stuff i do radio stuff and again a lot now i direct and produce a lot of little promotional stuff for EMP and for our labels so again it all feeds it's all cyclical everything else you know what I mean it really is it's just a big cycle of nonsense I can't imagine
1: you doing radio at all no dude I'm oh yeah right
2: (laughs) dude I I should send you I have this fucking I I did this thing on on my show called Tom Hazard's true Hollywood stories and there was this incident with Fred Durst where we literally almost got in a fucking fist fight and it was, it's fucking hysterical, but I produced this little segment. I'll send you a link to it. Okay. Maybe if you want, you can play it on your show. I'll fucking just play it if you want. But it's, it's fucking great. It, but it's, basically, I went out and had breakfast with Fred one day. And this was when they were making Significant Other. And uh, they were all living together in one big rented mansion that Jordan rented for them in, in L.A. And uh, we went to Swingers, me and Peter Katzis and Fred and my partner Eric from outside. We went to go have breakfast at Swingers. Then we went back over to the house and we were going to go to NRG to go listen to mixes and elijah blue almond showed up yeah and we were all dancing yep we we're yep. walking out the door to get in the car and go to nrg okay you remember the faith video fred had that fucking pug in the faith yeah. video yep. well he had that fucking dog and it was that dog and jesus christ i'm like reciting the entire thing i'm not even trying to it's just telling the story but so basically you go to someone's house they that fucking dog that every time you open the door they dash for the fucking door yeah that was that dog so we go to leave the dog runs outside Fred just andrew go what the fuck get my fucking dog and i just look at her and i'm like really like, you gotta keep in mind i'm a big guy i'm not little. You know, like I, you know what i mean like i would knock fred the fuck out without a whole lot of effort yeah uh, you know so me and eric were chasing around after his fucking stupid dog it almost got hit it ran out in the fucking street it was ridiculous running around in circles in my big fat ass and eric chasing this dog around so I caught it, put it back in the house, and then you know I kind of got up in princess, and Fred said, "My dude, what the fuck is your deal? I don't, who the fuck do you think you know?" I, I got a little Joe Pesci. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to, motherfucker? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm, an, I'm like an angry New Yorker when shit like that happens. You know, my my Brooklyn comes out. You know what I mean? It's but it was funny, and and me and Fred literally came this close to you know.
1: <laughs> that's crazy.
2: I know, it really was, man. It's funny. We, and we we didn't talk for a couple of years, and I was out with Cold a couple of years later, and I saw him, and we just kind of smirked at each other. And But again, that was kind of the end of my relationship with Fred. I still worked a little bit on, you know, with Geffen and Interscope on The Next Record, but that was basically the end of me and Fred, like forever, basically. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, whatever. The guy didn't give a fuck. He just used me anyway, so fuck him. But. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How hard is it to, to maintain some of these relationships with a lot of the, the people you've helped in in many facets in their career like it seems like i mean i know that's kind of a kind of open-ended question but i mean like i have a lot of touring friends and and stuff like that myself who are gone all the time and it it's weird like there's this band wilson and it's weird to see them now because it's like you know they're constantly touring and then when they're home you know like they want to be home and just kind of in a chill vibe and seeing girlfriends family whatever (laughs) Um, but it, it's it's kind of hard to maintain the relationship because it's not what it used to be. But I have all these memories of like when we used to see them every weekend or every other weekend and hang out, and no one gave a fuck about them, and no one knew who they were. And now it's kind of a weird thing to see like a distance between them and I, even though it's nothing due to like any ill like hard feelings or anything. It's just how life is. But it's it, it's tough, and I feel like you know, like you look listen to you talk about all these past memories with you know Fred and. Corey Taylor, like on the To Me podcast and stuff like that, it's like I, I hear that same sense of uh, love, like you know when you're talking about your friends and stuff like that, and and you know listening to you talk, you know, tell this Fred story, and then basically saying like, well, you know, that's kind of the last time I, I really I talked to that person, you know, that was a big part of my life and a friend of mine. So I mean, as someone who's been a part of all these bands' lives and helped them do, you know, achieve their dreams, how hard is it to like kind of maintain? the relationship's just even on a friendly level. Like, are you still in contact with a lot of these people?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, look, it's, 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 you know, it's such a weird business, man. It takes so many weird tolls. I mean, like, especially when you work with bands directly, like I've been a manager, it, you know, it's funny. Like for instance, like on unswitched and those kind of bands, like they all royally fucked me over. I basically took them out of Cleveland, created their whole careers. And then they completely fucked me over and then you're bitter for a bunch, you know, depth loss, same fucking deal. You know what I mean? I got 10 bands signed to major labels in two fucking years. Every one of them, the second it was done, they fucked me, fired me. And, you know, but again, you, you, you mature and you look back and you go, okay, it was just fucking business. And then you rebuild that friendship bridge. And, and, and you know, and I have great relationships with all those guys. And, and, and you know, it's funny. So, like, on a business level, sometimes it's hard to separate the business and the friendship. And, again, the, you know, like the Corey Taylor, it is. Look, I love Fred. I Still do. I you know, I always will. And like, and we I bumped into a few times after that. We chatted and I, I kept a good relationship with Wes. And it's always you know, it's one of those things. It's like you fall out forever, but then you see him again. You know, and it's just like nothing ever changed. You know what I mean? Corey, you know, I still consider Corey one of my best friends on earth, and I never talk to the fucking guy. Like, look, once in a while I'll hit up his wife and I'll go up to a show and I'll see him. But when we do, we have that connection, it's like it never went away. You know, and obviously me right. and Corey have that whole piece of shared history and again it's like every other week i hear him talking about me in an interview so he kind of created a monster with it by telling <laughs> this whole that whole story because now it's just funny like every other week i see some other thing with him talking about me some other thing with it talking about me and obviously he did recently on the loudwire wikipedia factor fiction which you know i mean, I mean a huge you know again it's just one of those things where you you know kind of you know it, it kind of hurts, but it's kind of at the same time. It's, like, it's just how life is, you know what I mean? It's like things change, dynamics change. Like, there's plenty of bands that I helped, you know, get big, Papa Roach and whatever, and I was you know, friendly with them in the beginning, and then they move on. But look, you know, I saw, I saw Cody last. Yeah, I saw Kobe Dick last year at Rock on the Range. He was like, holy shit, Tom, and we just hung out for, you know, an hour, a couple hours on and off, and it was just like it never happened, you know what I mean? So, again, you all kind of move on to your – different things and you know and again and and different relationships build, but it's it always they always seem to come back man you know and it's like look you know every time i see Corey, it's a big hug and holy shit biggie how are you and and, and it's like you know we make up for lost time and it's like you, you don't miss a beat you know what i mean so it's like you know so again it's, it's such a weird it's such a weird business to even have you know keep yeah, you know, especially when you're a manager and you're that's i think because when you're a manager everything's always your fault everything's always oh <laughs> you fucked up you know what i mean so yeah. like that. but then again you slowly get away from that and years get in the rear view and then you just think it's kind of like an ex-girlfriend you know you break up and you fucking hate each other but then a couple years later you're like yeah it's not so bad and maybe you might fuck here and there you know what i mean It's like that's not <laughs> how it is you know it's like you know there's nobody that i've ever worked with really though that i don't have a you know that I have any bad any ill will towards I mean there's really nothing you know what I mean and 25 years looking back I mean there's really not one band not one person I I mean that I really look back and have any ill will towards or even a bad thing to say about you know you get older hey and you did you do dumb shit and I did dumb shit and you know you make mistakes and you look back and you think well I was stupid they were stupid but you know again it's all you realize at the end of the day, it was all just business, and 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 you know, and those friendships somehow come out of the other end intact, and they might not be the same friendship, there might be a different friendship, but it's it's always kind of there, and I'm sure it's the same thing with Wilson, you know what I mean? It's like a couple of years from now, you'll you'll you know, it'll get to a different period where they're all, hey, dude, you know what I mean? It's just it's no, a, it's I mean, a weird and, and business, it's a weird dynamic. It's I was saying,
1: say, the point of me bringing that up wasn't to to make it seem like you know we're We're at ends or anything like that. It's just more like the. It's weird. It's always weird just to see, like, you know, it's one of the first instances where I literally saw a band go from being the open, like a local opener that no one knew who they were, to then seeing them achieve all the success, which, I mean, I. Every once a year, there's always a Facebook post where it was right after I had just seen the band for the first time. And I was like, you know, sometimes when you see a band and you know that they have it. You don't know what it is, but you know they have it. And I go, this band has fucking got it. And as long as they don't get in their own way or something tragic happens, like this band is going to achieve, like go as far as they want to go. And I'd be damned if that's not what's happening. So, I mean, it's... it's...
2: You know, there was a really funny moment when I worked for Jive. And uh, my boss, Michael Tedesco, legitimately said to me, I brought him Papa Roach. And this was... I mean, honestly, I I don't know how familiar you are with Papa Roach and the uh, big. progression of their their demos and and the stuff before they got signed. But basically, I found them when Old Friends from from young years was out, and that's when we kind of became friends. And then they did the next demos that had barbed wire and stuff, and yep. and that was when I brought it to Jive. I think barbed wire was like that batch of songs where all the things that made them Papa Roach were in there. That did it, did it? You know, the back and forth Iron Maiden kind of cool shit that they end up doing on Last Resort and. And he said to me straight up, of, he's like, so, you know, he a Tom, so this band, Papa Roach, is the one band of all these bands that is going to be bigger than all of them. And I said, yes, absolutely. And he wanted he wanted to sign Relative Ash. I think I won that round, pretty sure.
1: <laughs> is there any band, kind of looking back on your long history of working with, with labels, that you thought was going to be like the next Papa Roach, the next Linkin Park, you know, some, having been bands that you tried getting signed that just never made it that kind of you're still kind of like i
2: i don't know if it was timing or but just you kind know of knowing you know what i mean look switched i still think switch should have been way bigger than they were i mean that first record they did was brilliant the second you know the ghost in the machine record i put out was brilliant I mean, look, look at, look at where the guys ended up. Chad ended up in Breaking Benjamin, then Black Label Society, Scott Stapp. You know, Brad ended up in I Empire and now Nonpoint and he filled in in Seven Dust and Ben ended up writing top 40 pop songs. And, you <laughs> know, all those guys went on to all this amazing stuff. Like, like, and, and then Erase the Gray, who, you know, I got signed, but Roadrunner wanted to sign him desperately. Monty Connor wanted to sign him. They were dumb and wanted to sign to Universal Republic because there was a five thousand dollar advance instead of going where the love was they went for the money and it was the dumbest thing they could have done because if they would have signed a roadrunner they probably would have been fucking huge but they didn't and that's the the classic band mistake man always you know it's the same thing with mark with this record man instead of going for the money he went where the love was and that's you know the, usually bands do it. it's usually if a band doesn't it's because they get in their own way but sure there's a handful of bands over the years that i was You know, depth law I thought was going to be a lot bigger than they were. I think they're a lot more brilliant than they ever got credit for. And I I don't necessarily think Howard Benson was the right guy to produce their record either. I, I, you know, think they were a little more almost like a weird eclectic Jeff Buckley thing. And, And Howard just made, he made a great Howard Benson record, but I don't know that that was the right thing for them. You know what I mean? So again, it's always, you can always look back and try and break down why or what didn't happen. But yeah, there's definitely a handful that should have been way Fucking bigger, and there's other bands that came out at the time that are way bigger than they should have been, and you know, so, you know, it's it's always pretty much timing, and you know, I mean, yeah, everything in this business comes down to timing, man. It's all, I say this all the time, but everything I've done in my life, the labels, the A and R, the marketing, it's all basically led up to where I am right now. You know what I mean? It was learning the lessons, and I've learned most of them, and you know, again, here I am now in a, a really successful season of my life where I'm. Happier than I've ever been. I have my kids, I have my family, and then I have my, you know, my, you know, Ellison's my best friend and my partner, and, you know, Mark, who's also my other best friend, and we have this amazing record, and I've, we have all these amazing bands on EMP. Dalskin's on the Warp Tour, you know, Doyle from The Misfits. We have Co op, which is Alice Cooper's son Dash's band. I mean, you know, we have Chuck Mosley from Faith No More. I mean, literally, somebody from every one of my, you know, and last year, obviously, Chuck went out and did the Faith No More reunion shows so that We Care a Lot anniversary. It's just like the last year; it might you might as well just call Bucket List year because that's all it's fucking been. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, what uh, with the rest of the year outside
1: of the the Slaughter record, what what is upcoming that you're really looking forward to between all the endeavors? Oh, right
2: there. There's there's the whiteboard. Let's see. Well. I was going to say, your
1: light's, your light's actually covering it, so we can't. I re-roll. know,
2: good. See, you can't see any of the top secret stuff. So <laughs> the, the Broken Teeth record just came out, which is Jace McMaster from Dangerous Toys, which is fucking great. The Your Chance to Die record just came out on EMP Underground, who are a really killer kind of death metal, metalcore band. Uh, the Dope Sick EP just came out. The A Killer's Confession record, Wayland from Mushroom Heads new band. Just uh it came out digitally on Friday. It's coming out of retail on May twelfth. That record is just incredible, man. If you're a new metal guy, honestly, this is the best fucking uh new metal, this is the best new metal record hand and I I wouldn't even want to call it a new metal record, but it's in that vein. But it it's honestly it's probably the best hard rock that style record I've heard since the two thousands. I mean, it's just incredible, flawless front to fucking back. I mean, it really is just, I can't say enough things about that record. And, you know, we've got some, uh, let's see, we've got the Mark Slaughter record coming out. We have the new Letter Black record, which is fucking amazing. That's up May 26th. We have the new Doll Skin record coming out June 16th, the day they start Warp Tour. We have a Kick Tracy B-Sides record. We have the new Motorgrader record coming out. We have a couple of Dangerous Toys records that we're doing reissues of. I, I mean, really, it's just so jammed with stuff, man. I mean, it's, a big year we got a lot of the new Doyle records obviously coming out in June which is you know which is huge too I mean that record is just fucking incredible man the new Doyle record is just I don't know if you heard Abominator but this record just one ups Abominator which I thought was going to be hard to do but I mean this one I mean Abominator was really heavy and it was really great but this one has you found that Misfits punk rock swagger so it's like the heaviness of Abominator but with the Misfits
1: swing to it rock
2: you know yeah. what i mean it's fucking it's killer i mean there's so much so much great stuff coming out man i mean it's you know, it's really unbelievable the next six months with the records we have coming out and i, I mean there's more too i'm just fucking blanking out let me see uh, <laughs> how, uh yeah i mean look I and mean, we have some other you know we have this band machinage from brazil who are really fucking great and their records coming up may 12th that was one that was supposed to come out last year it just kind of we had a distribution transition, so that kind of just got swapped around. like I mean there's so many great records coming out and so much great stuff. And and again, it's really, it's really it's it's exciting, man. I can't say enough about how excited I am about everything going on and coming up and
1: Are you gonna be at any of the warp tour dates?
2: No, DollSkin's only playing the West Coast one, so I won't be anywhere near it probably. I mean, I, <laughs> I have a lot of stuff. I mean, I'll be at Chicago Open Air. I'll be at Rock USA, which is in Oshkosh. I'll be at Rock Fest, which is in uh, Kadat, Wisconsin. I'll probably I, – I don't know if I'm going to go to Rock on the Range this year. I, I went last year. I don't know if I'm going to make it out there this year. I Maybe some of the others. But I'll definitely be at Chicago Open Air. I will be at Rock, Oklahoma, Slaughter's playing, so I'll definitely be there. Um man yeah, there's a variety of other. I think we're going to do a street festival in Jackson outside of our coffee shop in July or August. So, I, I mean, there's there's so much, man. Just, you know, stay tuned and watch. <laughs> so, I mean, there's just so much. I couldn't even talk about it all. If I, yeah, it would be like the we would set a podcast world record for <laughs> everything fucking going on.
1: Well, I think we've kind of covered a lot of things. Uh, yeah, we have. What, uh, where can people find any of the social networks that you want to plug for anything, whether it be the coffee, the label, yourself, the bands?
2: We're we're all pretty easy to find uh, at EMP Label Group, kind of everywhere: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. At Ellison Coffee Co., kind of the same deal. Uh, I think I'm pretty much at Tom Hazart or at Tom FN hazard uh, or you can just Google me, you know, I mean, again, it's all, all pretty, pretty easy to find, you know, at Tom Hazard, at Tom fucking Hazard, well, FN, uh, <laughs> at EMP label group, at Ellison coffee co. Um, yeah, we're pretty easy to find. Google is your friend.
1: And I always like to end the episode with a song. So what would, what's a song you would like me to end the episode with? And maybe a little backstory
2: on, on it. Gee, man, this is kind of put me on the spot with this. Um, might have to sit here for five minutes and edit that bullshit out <laughs> while I figure it out. Um, fuck. Um, I, I feel like Dewey Cox right now. Like You have to sum up your entire career in one song. Like, I feel like Dewey, uh, the, the little known truth is the only thing I listen to is our records. Well,
1: that's probably not really... a little known truth. I would imagine you know between mixes and, and pre-productions and stuff like that, you're probably as heavily involved in the process of getting to the final the final mixes and masters as the rest of everybody, with it being your label, or being a part of the label.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. and I, I mean, honestly, I listen to vinyl. So, so and it's great I. now, because I've, I've been getting all the test pressings for the last week for A Killer's Confession, for Mark Slaughter. So I've just been woodshedding back and forth on the vinyls, man, just flipping them over and just keeping going all day long while I'm working. So, so we, just, we actually just... Gave one away in a contest last week, which we were like, you know, we should do this. So we gave we, we everybody who pre ordered last for Record Store Day, we did a little contest. Everybody who pre ordered anything of Mark's, they'd all be entered in to win a test press. So we gave one away. But yeah, if I ever end up with the next one, I'll let you know. Or whether yeah. or not I'll send you one of the real copies. I mean, they should be done. Well, we're, we did it on Picture Disc. We did it on LP. Um,
1: yeah, it's really been interesting. Pick, Record Store Day the last handful of years has been kind of disappointing. Like, there's not really been. Yeah. They're just reissuing reissues of reissues. It's like how many (laughs) how many times do I need like the Led Zeppelin discography like remastered on two hundred and twenty European gram vinyl,
2: you know, with new liner notes? It's like who wants that shit? Who wants? I mean, I have people do because
1: apparently it but sells like this year like the biggest fuck you on that list where I was like this is like this in a nutshell. This one artist, this one release is exactly why like I habitually have just been going like record store days no longer for me. Corey Feldman with that fucking seven inch they put, out, I was like, you motherfucker, like you, this couldn't have gone to anybody else, like okay. nobody's other, like you slowed production on so many other fucking records because record store day obviously is the big push, it makes you know a lot of stores and companies money, and it's like, I'm just seeing all these like pre pre orders like getting pushed back and push back and push back, and I'm like. And so, I know it's not Corey Feldman's fault, but when I see Corey Feldman's 7-inch, I'm like, fuck you, this is why it's, all my pre-orders are getting pushed back, because you're dumb shit that no one fucking cares about, and then, like, after outside of this year, whoever buys it will just be like, remember that one time Corey Feldman might, like danced terribly on Good Morning America? No. <laughs> well, he had a 7-inch. Cool. Like, <laughs> is it any good? No, it sucks. I just had no, it for, yeah. like, novelty, and it's like... I'm over that. I'm over the whole thing of it being a novelty thing. And it's like, I thought we got away from that with, with the resurgence of everything, but I'm hoping maybe this uh, third man uh, records that Jack Black opened up the pressing plant up in Detroit. I'm hoping maybe that will uh, alleviate some of the flow of.
2: I tell you what, we've been doing all of our records in the Czech Republic. Now it's funny. It's now quicker to manufacture records in Europe and ship them to America than to, and we're actually now last year, it was taking us six months to get records. Like, the Dalskin record, Semblant, I mean, all this stuff we did last year took six fucking months. Man. Now we're getting them out of Europe in two. You know, I wish mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's Europe's... so much quicker and so much better. I mean, and we have a lot of vinyl coming too. I mean, Dalskin's coming on vinyl. Doyle, two versions of Mark Slaughter. Broken Teeth came out on vinyl. Tim Tracy's coming out on vinyl. I mean, everything we do is pretty much. I mean, I'm a vinyl guy. That's what I like. So, I mean, yeah. to me, fuck iTunes, fuck CDs, like to be a real record label you need to press fucking vinyl and, and you know what you like how i still have not chosen the song
1: no i know i was just thinking about it i was like i think i distracted you even more yeah i no, <laughs> but you know
2: i, I think i figured out you know what i'm gonna have you play one of the mark slaughter songs off the record and i'll send it to you but yeah. the reason i'm gonna have you play this song is because my kids ended up singing on it oh wow. And nobody's, nobody's heard this song yet it's not been played anywhere so you're kind of premiering it too honestly but it's called uh, it's called uh, Disposable. Okay. And yeah, Mark Mark Forever was talking about it. It was the last thing he had to do on the record. He was like, I want to get a choir of kids to sing this part. You know, we're not disposable at the end. And he kept trying to do it and in Nashville, and he couldn't do it. And I kind of was under the impression he wanted, like, this perfect choir to sing it. And he's like, <laughs> no, dude, I just want kids to sing it, like, kind of bad and off-key. And <laughs> look, you know, it, it'll be cool. You can premiere another song and... Then I'll promote it on Mark's stuff and a million of Mark's fans will come listen to this episode of the podcast, just so they can hear it live.
1: (laughs) I guess we'll, we'll end there. I'm excited to hear this slaughter track. So that was my chat with Tom Hazart of the EMP label group. (laughs) What can I even say about that conversation? It went all over the place and was crazy and a lot of fun stories. And I had a fucking blast just basically sitting back and listening to Tom tell me stories uh it's one of those things where that dude has lived a life and a half and i feel like it was just kind of an honor to let him tell some of those stories to me um speaking of to me uh if you want to head over to the talk to me podcast and hear the 100th episode with mark slaughter uh, i can get a little backstory on the record that's getting ready to come out Uh, i'm going to give the plugs for the new slaughter record just because uh tom uh is letting me premiere the new song disposable on this podcast off the new album of Mark Slaughter's called Halfway There. The album will be out on May 26th. Pre-orders are still up right now over at empmerch.com. You can get it on CD, LP, or a picture disc. Uh, I believe the LP is going to be a silver, and I think I Tom had told me the picture disc is going to be like a silver and white kind of a. A deal so if vinyl is your thing now would be the time to get this get your pre-order help mark slaughter have a strong first week with uh some pre-sales speaking of support if you would like to support this podcast you can head over to facebook instagram and youtube and find me at johnson title podcast that's all one word you can tweet me at John's title pod or email me at johns title pod at gmail.com uh, if you would like to follow tom hazart you can over on instagram at tom hazart that's t-h-o-m-h-a-z-a-e-r-t or you can tweet at him at Tom and Hazart. Without further ado, this is Mark Slaughter with Disposable. Uh, Off of the new record, Halfway There. And as Tom was saying at the very end of this episode, uh, the little kids that you hear throughout this song are actually his own. I think it's a pretty badass thing that you get to do with for your kids. Like put them on a record and that's something they'll have forever and a memory they'll have forever. So here's Mark Slaughter, Disposable. See you next week.